Hello, folks. Welcome to the Solar Fit Renewable Energy Show. Bill Gallagher back with you again today. A little bit of a weather report. Open to the blinds. It's a beautiful day here in Florida. Thank goodness we had so much rain over the last week or so that it's been just delightful to see the sun. You know, I felt like we were in Chicago for a while there. But anyway, to give a shout out to our friends at Daytona Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram for their loyal support particularly our driver, Daniel Dye, and the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series this year, full-time, and also a few Xfinity Series races. So we uh, love to go with him and support him. And thanks, everyone, for the uh, Race to Stop Suicide, the support. It's our mission to you know, make uh, more people aware of uh, the Race to Stop Suicide. So I thank your help there. We have got an awesome guest for you today. I cannot believe it. It's my brand-new friend, Nicole Stott, who is a NASA astronaut, an author, and an artist. Nicole, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Nice to be here. <laughs> How'd they do on that? How'd they do on that? I don't think I'd ever make the Ed Sullivan show, that's for sure, but you are awesome. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Ed Sullivan, my gosh, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know we what? Know, we, know, we know now, yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, going back in history because I, I just finished your book, which is just completely awesome. And one of the things in the book that I'll never forget, and it just reminded me so much, is when you're sitting by the TV, black and white TV, watching uh the, the moon launch or uh, landing or something, and as a as a child saying, my God, isn't that unbelievable? And you know, I think back to the days with Lowell Thomas. Do you remember Lowell Thomas? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sitting absolutely. by TV. I'm like nine years old. I'm watching Lowell Thomas, and I'll never forget it. He used to say, Lowell Thomas from Alaska, so long. <laughs> he was so cool. You remember him, don't you? <laughs> oh, man. I just a little kid, and I thought, God, I'm going to go to Alaska someday, and Gosh, yeah. actually ended up going there quite a bit, so I love that stuff. But anyway, Nicole, I, I'll tell you, I want to, I want to give a, a shout out to your book called "Back to Earth." It is just fantastic, and you know, if you're if you're a child like I was uh, watching Superman, that's where I was first introduced to the globe, this the the world with the fellow Superman with the S on his chest. Remember him? Yeah. And the and the stars going by and stuff like that. There's very few people in the world that have a chance to experience that but nicole is one of them nicole talk a little bit about first of all where did you grow up bring us bring us up to date well i, I grew up across the state from you bill i'm uh, and i'm back over there now i grew up in clearwater florida so on the west coast the gulf coast of florida and uh, and I'm back, <laughs> I, and I love it. Uh, I had, um, you know, my my school, um, college, I was over, you know, down the street from you at uh, Embry-Riddle. So I spent a few there, years there in the Daytona Beach area, and then went off to work at um, Kennedy Space Center just down the road at, uh, you know, at Kennedy Space Center, Cape Canaveral area, was there for about 10 years, and then headed off to Johnson Space Center. And spent about 20 years in Houston uh, before coming back to Florida. And I think that was in, like, 2016. So it all comes back around, and I am so happy to be back in the Sunshine State, I have to tell you. <laughs> well, that was a very abbreviated uh, version of your life, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, we share one thing in common. Um, well, a couple things. Okay, we're both pilots, I guess, and yeah. uh, we're both uh, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University alum, and that's really where we first met last week at a sustainability conference. And 
I had a, a break between my events. I had a chance to listen to Nicole give a presentation, and man, I was in awe. What a what a beautiful job you did. Uh, well, thanks. I mean, and I had the chance to listen to you speak too, and it makes me very you know to, to meet somebody. Um, where I think there is common purpose, right? And, um, you know, at a, at a university that we both attended where we're coming back to this place and they're doing something like a sustainability conference, you know, that's pretty cool and makes me very proud to think of what the students are learning and experiencing, you know, outside of just what their normal curriculum is too, and kind of getting an understanding of how they can be you know, a positive influence on life around them in the world through what they're studying. Yeah, and it was so well attended, and you were so articulate when you you talked about, A, the opportunities for the kids. Well, they're not kids, obviously, they're young adults, but there's so much opportunity out there in listening to how you progressed from graduation Embry-Riddle to become an astronaut. I, I have to go back and ask this because... It, when you're a kid, almost every kid dreams of being an astronaut or a fireman or something like that. How in the world did you ever achieve that? <laughs> I, you know, it's, I pinched myself. Um, I think really in hindsight, I paid attention to what I enjoyed. I kind of let that guide me, and it certainly was the guide to what I studied at school. Right? I, you know, growing up here, you know, up the road from where I am right now in Clearwater, uh, hung out with my dad and my family a lot at the local Clearwater Air Park where he was building and flying small airplanes. I developed a love of flying myself, you know, and for sure I wanted to know how to fly. You know, that's one of those things we have in common, the the pilot thing. But beyond that, I wanted to know how things fly. And that just kind of led me along the way to, man, if you want to know how airplanes fly, why would you not want to know how rocket ships fly? You know, just up the road from where we went to school, um, or down the road, I should say, is the Kennedy Space Center space shuttle program was getting going. And yeah, I mean, I think back to those, you know, those days in front of the black and white TV watching those first moon landings and how, you know, I think it's inspirational, even if you don't think from that point on, I need to be an astronaut, I want to be an astronaut. I, I really, I think even at six or seven, realized how extraordinary that was that, you know, you walk outside and look at the moon and, you know, there's two guys walking around it and somebody orbiting it, you know, waiting to pick them up. And, I mean, that's pretty impressive. And um, it certainly was inspirational. And I think that that came back to me later in life when I was working at the Kennedy Space Center and I was helping prepare space shuttles um, and then later space stations for astronauts to fly on and I started seeing what astronauts do <laughs> and you know I think I said this when we were together before it's like you know sadly to astronauts the majority of our time is not spent flying in space it's here on earth and best I could tell a lot of that was like what I was already doing as an engineer a NASA engineer and that encouraged me to at least think about it you know to think beyond this idea that oh astronaut that's really cool wouldn't that be cool but that's something other special people get to do. You know, I was kind of, I was discouraging myself when I really shouldn't have, and very thankful to some folks that I consider to be mentors who really encouraged me to do nothing more than the thing I had control of in the whole process, which was 
they got the pen and fill out the application, and here I am talking to you. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's, it's really funny. I've got to give another shout-out to our friend, Dr. Mark Compare, for inviting us to this concert. About once a year, I have a chance to uh, present to the engineering class out there, Nicole, and it's really funny. I always ask this question real quickly. I ask them, who knows uh, what keeps a plane in the air? And all these answers are really cool, like the low-pressure area over the wing and everything like that. And they, I listen to about 10 different things, and I go, well— you're wrong. What is it? It's money. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So you got to have a lot of money. <laughs> and then one other thing that I got to, because I know your dad and you, and yeah, all the, all of our friends down at uh, Spruce Creek Fly-In, the local fly-in thing, all my uh-huh. buddies down there that are airline pilots, they say, they say you know, anybody can fly an airline, but there's very few people that can fly a tail dragger. <laughs> I go, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry for the diversion yeah. there, but I love that you know, stuff. You know, it's not a diversion. I think it speaks pretty, it's pretty interestingly to what, you know, when we think about flying just in general, there's a lot, there's, there's all the little, um, there's the groups of flyers, right? I think there's just this love of flying and then people become, you know, they want to fly by planes, you know, or they want to fly an airliner or they want to fly on a space shuttle or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. But man, you know, you know, the tail dragger world. And that was what my dad was a part of. And I just remember um, when I was first soloing and I was learning to fly in, you know, the Cessna 152, small little two seater, not a tail dragger. (laughs) And I remember um, dropping in to Clearwater Air Park and taxiing over to where my dad's friends were and so excited that I was able to pull into this place in an airplane and go see these guys. And they're walking around the plane like, what the heck are you doing here? <laughs> in one of these tricycle things. <laughs> Next time you show up, you better have a wheel on the back. <laughs> yeah, the wheel's in the wrong spot. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm uh, like, come on. <laughs> right. Well, you know, one of the things is probably the most interesting to me is is the whole psychology aspect of it right so i i think you and i are uh, are similar we wake up in the morning with a grin on our face and we kick our heels and jump out of bed ready for the next adventure and a lot of that is psychological so i'm going back to uh, uh fabian uh cousteau who was a guest on our show and you shared the same underwater uh arena as he did can talk about that a little bit yeah, you know, as, as astronauts in training, um, most of what we're doing through all of our training in one way or another, whether you're in a classroom learning about the electrical system on your spaceship or the science you're going to do or whatever it might be, embedded in that somehow is all the things that might go wrong, <laughs> how you're going to deal with that, but also how you're working together as a crew, right? Mm-hmm. And we do some things that are very specific to this, what we call expeditionary training, you know, figuring out your own strengths and weaknesses, working in extreme environments, that kind of thing. And the absolute best was the opportunity to go live underwater. So there's this really cool habitat called Aquarius, about the size of a school bus, sits at about 60 feet underwater off the coast of Key Largo. And we joke as astronauts that we get to go live and work in inner space to learn how to live and work in outer space. And so we go there just like we would if we were going to space. And you're in this place where you can't just swim to the surface to, you know, to escape something going wrong. You have to deal with it with your crew at 60 feet underwater because your body's so saturated with nitrogen that that's just what has to happen. 
And it is the best, I mean, just the closest analog to what it's like to live on a spaceship, too. And just extraordinary. I mean, I talk all day about what it was like to float in front of the window of the space station and see Earth from space. But equally as captivating was the opportunity to be immersed in it, you know, to have kind of feel like the world was surrounding you and to be in a place where you just aren't necessarily meant to survive there, right? So we have to do all the things and take all the care to make sure that we can. Um, And it, it is really extraordinary. Well, you know, the personal relationships over a period of time, and you talk about this uh, space station, I want to talk more about that, but, you know, you're kind of sequestered there for a certain period of time. There has to be some really great interaction uh, personally with the, with your crewmates. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, and I think you go to, by the time you go to space together, you feel like family, really. You know, you might feel like you're the parent of one of the people you're with or brothers and sisters or whatever, but you feel like family. There's a closeness that develops just in, you know, preparing for that kind of mission. And, you know, thankfully, um, the astronaut corps, the the international astronaut corps is relatively small. So we all know each other. And uh, in preparation for that first flight, you know, training together for years before flying, and, um, you know, every kind of human action, you know, pretty much that you can imagine um, in terms of um, behavior and getting to know each other and floating around the dinner table, all those things, you know, we're human. It's going to happen in space, too. So um, we prepare for that, though, you know, and I think one of the things people ask about a lot, you know, kind of in your question is, well, did you guys argue about stuff or were there you know, where there are points of contention and that kind of thing. And I can tell you, I don't really remember feeling like I argued with anyone. Um, I feel like, I mean, I know that we had things that some of us might have not necessarily agreed on, the way we're going to run a task or how we're going to, you know, work something throughout the day. But because of the way we trained together and how deliberate we were about making sure we knew that those kinds of things could happen, we were prepared for it. So somebody waking up and not being in a good mood, you were ready for it, you know, and you allowed it. And um, honestly, I wish, I mean, you know, my husband's in the other room. He's like, well, why don't you do that around here? <laughs> I was going to say, if you Probably, wake up in a bad mood, you know, did they have an ejection, <laughs> ejection hatch? Yeah, and just you know, <laughs> Go walk you know, outside, buddy. <laughs> so go eat that apple in the other room, you know, something, you know, whatever it is. But I mean, it's, there's there's ways to manage that kind of thing. And I really feel like we we did that beautifully. And I don't know if it was just because of the training or this higher purpose mission that we all feel like we're on or whatever it was. But I loved the time and space I had with all of those people and would fly with any one of them again. Wow. Now, I, I don't know if every crew would say that. Or maybe they wouldn't say that about me. I don't know, but um, I but I feel that way. Well, we had uh, your your friend and fellow astronaut Stephen Bowen on the show. I guess you went flying with him, right? Yes, yeah. So we were selected way back in the year two thousand. We were selected together into the eighteenth group of NASA astronauts, and and then along the way we um, had the opportunity to fly together. Um, that was on my second flight and and his as well, which was the final flight of the space shuttle discovery. So we spent together a little over two weeks um, on the shuttle and the space station. And then Steve, I, you know, I'm guessing it was 
I don't know when you talked to him, if it was before or after his last flight, but I have beautiful, you know, how you can watch the, the launches over there um, from where you are. And, right, right. Um, yeah, we can see him sometimes, too, from here. But his, his last flight, he just flew recently, and, you know, he flew on one of the SpaceX Dragon capsules, and we got the most amazing view of their return, so mm. their, their reentry. And um, I just, it was just so cool to be out in the backyard watching this glowing, <laughs> super hot spaceship coming back into the atmosphere. No one Steve was on there. Yeah, especially, very cool. especially knowing that you have yeah. a friend on there. Oh my goodness, time is going fast. Folks, we're going to take a short break. Okay. We come back, we're going we're to talk more with Nicole. She's going to take us off the pad. Back with you soon. Hi folks, Bill Gallagher with SolarFit here. Have you ever thought about utilizing solar power for your home or business? Well, there's never been a better time to plug into the sun and stop renting electricity. How would you like to let your roof start paying you each month? Give us a call at 445-7606. That's 445-7606. Or visit us at SolarFit.com and set yourself free. SolarFit your life and set yourself free with the sun's free energy. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Solar Fit Renewable Energy Show. Bill Gallagher with you again with my friend Nicole Stott, NASA astronaut. If you missed the first part, please go to our podcast. It was really interesting. Well, today, folks, it's finally time for the countdown, and we're going to take off. Nicole, walk us through the takeoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 10, 9, yeah. Um, that's where it gets really exciting, by the way, when you get to that kind of iconic phase, but... Yeah, you know, we when we go out to launch, we we're out there a couple hours before takeoff, and of course, you get all kind of comfy in your seats. And it's imagine you're on your airplane, but now they've rotated it 90 degrees, so the nose is facing up towards the sky. So we're all laying on our backs in our seats, and we've gotten comfortable. And napping does go on. I will tell you, I have vivid memory of napping on the space, <laughs> space shuttle before liftoff, but. Um, we start to get involved at about 20 minutes before launch, but it really, really starts to become something that seems like it might be real during that 1098 phase. And on the space shuttle, man, you know, it, the countdown was that 10987, and then at six seconds, all that fuel in that big orange tank started flowing towards those three little engines at the back of the orbiter. And it was kind of cool because they were on an angle. So as soon as they lit, which I thought was going to be really loud and shaky, but it wasn't. It was just kind of like a low rumble. But because they're at an angle, the whole spaceship, the whole stack of that spaceship would tip forward like 10 feet. And and you felt that. And then it would start to come back. And they called that the twang maneuver. It was highly technical. And, And as soon as the spaceship was vertical again, that was when the countdown hit zero. And that's when those big solid rocket boosters lit. And holy moly, that was like, I just remember thinking, was I ever on a launch pad? Because the energy that just comes out of nowhere and kind of hits you in the back, and now you're shaking like you never imagined you could shake before, and you're starting to get pressed in your seat, feels like three of you are sitting on top of you. And of course, as human beings, you have to respond to all that. So there's the high five and the woohoo and the smile on your face and all of that. And that shaking 
that jello inside shaking, that's the way you feel, goes on for you know a little over two minutes when those boosters separated. And, and then it got calm, but you still felt like you weighed three times as much. And then six more minutes goes by, and then you're in space, and that tank separates, and you're just, it's like if you relax, your whole body just wants to lift out of the seat. Your arms float up, the pen floats up on the end of the, the string, and you just can't believe it. You're like, I was on a launch pad eight and a half minutes ago. And now with, you know, 7 million pounds of exploding rocket energy underneath me, I'm orbiting the planet in wow. space. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So what's, what kind of speeds now? How fast are you going once you break through the thin blue line? Yeah, you know, with the, so it's kind of like we threw a ball with a lot of, you know, with 7 million pounds of thrust behind it. And so we keep falling around the planet. And we do that at about 17,500 miles an hour, which... It is about five miles a second. So we get to orbit the planet every 90 minutes, which is um, 16 times a day. And thanks to that, we get 16 really beautiful sunrises and sunsets each day. Unbelievable. So at what point do you decide, okay, well, let's go to the space station? (laughs) Well, on the space shuttle, what we would do is we would get to orbit and then we would check out all the systems on the space shuttle first, you know, kind of like you do with your airplane before, you know, before you go rendezvous with something else or before you land or, you know, continue on your mission. We would open up the payload bay doors and we would make sure everything's working. And um, and then we would we would track, you know, chase down, really, I guess, the station over about a day and a half period. And, you know, all of those funky orbital mechanics that go on, you know, to get you in line with another vehicle in space, which is really very cool. Um, yeah, about a day and a half is what we would take. And it's so neat to see the space station for the first time because it starts out as this teeny tiny little dot of light that turns into like a fingernail-sized, like perfectly clear space station out in the distance against this this blackness. And then almost it seems like no time goes by and it's this ginormous football field-sized thing in front of you that now you have to figure out how to attach to. Well, how do you put the brakes on? I mean, you put the flaps down and uh, <laughs> drop the gear. What do you do? <laughs> well, essentially, but you've got, instead of, you know, working against the air with, um, you know, the surfaces, like the flaps and brakes and all that kind of stuff, we've got little thrusters that we use to help us, you know, go up in altitude or down in altitude to chase down the station. And then we use them to accelerate towards the space station and then of course we push them so they burn in the opposite direction to help us slow down and meet up just at the right speed it's really super cool that's where i tell tell kids it's like that's where math is really helpful (laughs) i think uh it has to be a pretty good driver to make that connection but that is that is so cool okay so now we're up there we're we're locked in and everything like that the thing opens and then you go inside the space station talk about that yeah, I think it's a lot of these things that happen during these missions, you imagine what it's going to be like, and then it's so much better than you've imagined. And um, the same thing was true with transitioning from being inside the kind of the space that's inside the space shuttle, which is, in the grand scheme of spaceships, is relatively large. But then the hatch opens, and you float into the space station, and it's ginormous. I mean... It's just that the interior volume is, it's so spacious. I keep using that word, the space word. 
but it almost to the point of where you're like, okay, what am I going to grab onto to hold so I'm not just floating kind of out of control? Or um, It takes a little while to get graceful in there, but it's just this incredible place that I wish everybody could go <laughs> and experience. Well, we, we, we earthlings, I guess we're all earthlings, right, according to your book, mm-hmm. right? um, but we earthlings have never really experienced that for any length of time. Maybe a roller coaster is the closest that we've gotten. Uh, but I can see that just floating around in there, you really, you, you really are searching for some way to guide yourself in, the, in the, the, the right direction, right? I mean, it's just floating aimlessly. Well, you're, I mean, you're, it's, it's interesting how quickly our brain and our body figures out how to move in three dimensions, you know, to go from this kind of two-dimensional world we live on where we're walking, you know, across the floor or up the stairs or, you know, moving our bodies in a way that um, is restricted like that to this really liberating three-dimensional, like flying, floating, flying. I don't know about you, but I, as a kid, I always had those dreams of running and fl- jumping and trying to fly without the airplane, right? right? And how happy I was when that would happen and how frustrated I was when it didn't. But to just have that become the way you move. And at first you're clumsy, you know, you're wanting to grab onto things, you're pushing harder than you need to, and you discover that it's really more like a ballet. It's a very graceful, um, liberating thing to know that, okay, I just have to touch this surface with my fingers. You know, Newton was right, that whole equal and opposite reaction thing. And um, and it, it's cool how you figure out just how much you need to do or which way to roll or turn or float or, you know, to fly and move in three dimensions. It's incredible. And I, I live vicariously through my friends up there now. I have vivid memory of what that was like. It doesn't seem mysterious to me anymore. Well, one of the things in the book that really caught my attention and that we don't think about nearly enough is, you know, you have people from all over the world with different professions on there uh, speaking different languages in many cases, and everyone gets along seamlessly. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I, you know, I think one of the greatest gifts that the the International Space Station program is going to give us is this legacy of cooperation, right, of international cooperation on a scale that I don't know we experience really as peacefully and successfully anywhere else. Um, Yeah, we've got, you know, for over 23 years now, we've had single crews, you know, crews of six or seven people on board the station that represent over 15 countries at any given time that are there as members of, you know, these five different international space agencies, you know, all on this mission that's off the earth for the earth. And, and it's cool, you know, I get people that say to me, oh, well, you know, there's the U.S. parts of the space station, so that must be where you live. And the, the Japanese guys, they only get to go in that one module. And it's like, nope, it's, no, it's one station, one crew, you know, working together on this mission. And uh, I really believe it's just such an amazing example for us, you know, for how we can create that same kind of environment here on Earth. Because really what we're doing is we're working like a crew, right? We know we're there for a particular reason. We're in this place that we've built to support our life. And the same thing is true for us down here on Earth. Orders of magnitude, I know, in terms of numbers, but the, the, the premise is the same. Wow. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, uh, this, 
we're going to have to do this again, Nicole, because I got a yeah. thousand questions. But but okay, we're going to have to do the separation real quickly because I want to bring us back. I want you to walk us through the landing because that is really cool. We separated from the space station. We're heading back. Walk us through that in the next two minutes. Bring us down at, at the Cape. Absolutely. So. You know, when we separate from the station, one of the things that's really neat is before we, like, burn our engines to come back into the atmosphere, we do this really great fly around of the station. So 360-degree loop, if you will, all the way around the space station. And then we burn these engines that allow us to start dropping back into the atmosphere. And once we burn those engines, it's, it's I think, literally an hour from that point till touchdown on the runway. So you do it at a particular time with a particular thrust out the back that, you know, then puts you, puts you at the perfect angle to come back into the atmosphere. And then it's just this really, in comparison to launch, where it was really dynamic, you know, a lot of energy going on, you know, to get you into orbit. Now what we're doing is trying to get rid of that energy. We're trying to slow down from 17,500 miles an hour to about, you know, 200 miles an hour for landing. And so it's all about dumping energy. And so we do these really cool, like, sweeping S-turns to dump the energy. We're, you know, coming in steep, but the, you know, because the thing's like a brick that's dropping into to the atmosphere. And then eventually we get some air flowing that allows us to use those little surfaces, those little flaps and, you know, elevons, as we call them, to, to control the flight back in. And then it's amazing. It's like the little chirp on the runway. Oh <laughs> with the space shuttle it was incredible and that personally is how i think humans should be coming back to earth is that little chirp on the runway you know yeah. before before 9-11 we could actually land on that runway there and the runway so long you could take off and land six different times but still coming yeah. in coming in dead stick at, at six or seven even almost sideways you could even almost land across, the, across the runway if you got it just right it's unbelievable yeah. okay that was a that was a heck of a trip my heart's already throbbing here but but before we go i want to talk about real quickly we only got a minute left tell us real quickly about what you're doing at the children's hospital well we're working with kids in hospitals and refugee centers and orphanages all over the world really feel like i'm on my next mission of bringing space and art together for kids Uh, we've got an organization called the space for art foundation where we are uniting a planetary community of children through the awe and wonder of space exploration and the healing power of art and with these kids we have created some amazing art spacesuits um the people from the company ilc dover the spacesuit company who made the suit i did a spacewalk in the ones that walked on the moon have volunteered with us since the beginning to quilt these kids artwork together and i encourage people to check it out it's um really cool to see how the inspiration of space and this, this outlet of creativity can get the kids in places you wish they never had to be thinking about their futures and transcending that whole that whole thing. And I, I feel like I went to space so I could do this work now. Oh, not, Nicole, you are one awesome lady for sure. Okay, uh-huh. how many people want to have Nicole back? Show of hands. Not if you're driving, please. It's unanimous. <laughs> Let the record show. Okay, folks, we're going to have to sign off for uh, today, but we're going to have Nicole back on. Have a wonderful weekend, a great Thanksgiving holiday, and we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.